welcome. Today the topic will be prayer. Unlike by a mysterious arrangement, Maharaj spoke yesterday how deity worship, if one is going deeper, it is actually going outside the original archana, the mudras, and it goes outside the temple, and it's every action I'm doing is part of deity worship. Every interaction I'm having in this world is part of the deity worship. So it, the temple is like expanding to the universe. And prayer also. There has not been a millisecond in our whole life that we were not praying. This means sending signals to Radha and Krishna and Paramatma in the heart who hears everything. The problem is most of the signals we sent were prayers, please, I want to forget you and I will make every endeavor for that. So this is, and with a heavy heart, he gave us material existence. This means the illusion of the absence of Radha and Krishna in our life. So with a heavy heart, he had to give that. So there was not a second that we were not praying. So, but in the deeper context, we speak of prayer as a little awakening of the heart just look, now I'm begging you, give me possibilities to remember you and give me circumstances to remember you. And even then, it's a challenging thing. We may chant because chanting means a purest form of prayer and we may have some beautiful verse on the lips, but then still one has to analyze his life. If I'm chanting three or four hours, what, what am I praying the other 24 hours? Krishna must be a little, you know, it's like a multiple personality. He prays some, ver he prays some words, but he acts differently also. So Krishna is waiting till something becomes mature. And in Prabhupada Nanda Saraswati, in 
Vrindavan Mahimamrita is writing, Oh Vrindavan Taivaivasmi, Oh Vrindavan, I'm solely yours, only yours. And then he's waiting, and then he's saying, I boldly lie when I say such things because I don't mean it. And meaning means my life is not an expression of that. And then he waits, makes another pause. And he says, but still accept it, please. Because under the layer of resistance, of not wanting devotion, still there is an Atma who is crying for that. So it's an interesting thing. He has a, a word, a lip prayer, and then he looks at the psychic body that is not always in tune with the realm of prayer. But then he turns one level deeper of, of an Atma who has never ever wanted anything else than that. So, a life of prayer means also an explosion. Like Maharaj said yesterday, the temple is expanded to the whole universe. So, also prayer. Expressing a heart's attitude to Radha and Krishna is also expanded even outside the times of prayer. So, but we are thankful, Maharaj, that we have some hear you speak about that. Thank you. Om Jnana Timirandasya Gyanam Jana Shalakaya Chakshavindamilitam Gena Tashmai Shri Gurave Namah Nama Sheshtam Manamapi Satchiputram Matrasharupam Rupam Tashya Gajamuru Purim Matarim Vashtavatim Radha Kundam Giriparam Maho Radhikamadhavasham Rapto Yasya Pratita Kripaya Shri Gurum Tamnatusmi Vancha Kalpataru Yasya Kripa Sindhu Yevata Patita Nampawa Nemkyo Vaishnave Yenamonama Nikila Shruti Mole Ratnamaladiti Nirajita Padapankajanta Aji Mukta Kulairupashamanam Paditashtam Harinam Samsrayami Anarapita Charim Chirat Karunaya Vatiranakalo Samar Paitam Munnatas Valarasam Svabhakti Shriyam Hari Purata Sundara Dyutti Kadambasandipita Sadharidai Khandare Spurato Vasachinandana 
अजानलंबिताबुचो कानकावदातो संकीर्तनाय कपितरो कमलाय तक्षण विश्वंभरो द्विजावरो जगधार्मफालो मंदे जगत्प्रियकरो करुणावतारो लादिनी शक्ति स्वरूपाय गोरंगसूरिदायचा भक्ता शक्ति प्रदनाय वदाधरनमोष्टिते हे कृष्णा करुणा सिंधो दीनवंधो जगात्पते गोपेशाबुपीका कांतराथाकंतनमोष्टिते राधे वृंदवनादेशे कारुनम्रेतवाहिनी कृपयाने जपादब्जादशन्मयं प्रदीयतम् भक्त्यविहिनाय अपराधलक्षाय शिवताश्चकमादितरंगमादे कृपा मायितम् शरणाम् प्रपानम् ब्रंदे मस्ते चरणारविंदम् ब्रंदे मस्ते चरणारविंदम् श्री सचिनंदन गोरहरि की जय श्री हरिनाम प्रभु की जय श्री श्री गोर गदाधर जी की जय श्री राध गोविंद जी की जय गोर भक्त वृंद की जय गोर प्रमान हरि हरि So good morning again, Pranam to all of you. And thank you, Krishna Chandra Prabhu, for your introduction. It was very, very inspiring, very accurate. I really liked the point you made regarding how when we start to to correctly practice every anga of bhakti. We start to realize that the anger is not limited to the practice, but it's universalized. No? So archana is not only the altar, but the altar is everywhere. Chanting is not only the chanting, but it's how you conduct yourself through, throughout the whole day. And the same way, every one of the practices, if you properly understand them, they are not just practices, but they are a lifestyle, ongoing lifestyle. That's challenging again, <laughs> but that's bhakti. And bhakti is not so much to do things, certain things, but how we live our lives while doing anything and everything. <laughs> Although it may sound strange, but you will, again, you will show the quality of your archana in the form you, how you treat your neighbor, so to say. You will show the quality of your chanting in the form of how you deal with the most ordinary situations of your daily life when you are not with your hand in the japa mala so, so that's it that's the depth and the breadth of each aspect of bhakti so we integrate and with we understand our spiritual
project is 24 hours a day. <laughs> it's not just, okay, I have my spiritual life here when I chanting, when I enter the altar, when I give in the harikata, and then I have my other, whatever, 17 hours per day of my other life, you know, like bipolar or something. <laughs> I have two identities. In the beginning, we may begin as such, creating ourselves, creating this dichotomy. It's our own creation. Many times I hear this question, Maharaj, how to harmonize my spiritual life with one with my material life <clears throat> so in itself the question has a problem <laughs> before answering the question i have to correct the question and by correcting the question i am answering the question because if you choose to still think in terms of my spiritual life my material life okay that's your choice and that's your problem <laughs> because at least in bhakti the idea is that we are invited to make everything one single thing. Everything can be part of bhakti. My job, my family, my life, my prayer, my chant, all, all should be reflecting one another, as we were saying. How I relate to God, as I replied yesterday to Robertus, will be reflected how I relate to everything else. And how I relate to everything else will speak about my connection with the divine. So it's there's no escape, fortunately. <laughs> if we are sincere, we'll feel blessed. Okay, I, there's no escape. I cannot really cheat myself, be evasive. It's, it's so perfectly presented that I cannot just love Krishna on this side and be dysfunctional to everyone else on this side. I cannot do my archana nicely here and then mistreat everyone else. I cannot chant, chant my kirtan in this way or my job and then contradict myself discrepancy as we talked yesterday so at least in theory we know it should be like that in practice still as we say yesterday there may be some pain and some acknowledgement and some healthy repentance but that's also glorious that's part of the sadhaka's journey as one friend of mine will say the beauty and the messiness of the sadhaka's journey it's messy, but it's beautiful because that messiness is happening in the context of bhakti. No? <laughs> it's a beautiful messiness. So in that connection, we will talk about prayer today, the sacred realm of prayer. And I chose that title because prayer is more, again, it's a realm a dimension that we can inhabit more than a thing we do a few hours a day as Krishna Chandra was mentioned so yeah today's officially our last meeting on, on Harikata oh, and I, I'm not a farewell person because I don't believe in farewells because there is a constant ongoing meeting whether in union or in separation uh, but to conclude our series of meetings these days, I thought, well, it may be nice to touch upon <clears throat> a topic that I know it's very important here in Adanandadam, uh, and hopefully not only here at Adanandadam, but hopefully important to our whole tradition and to our whole heart, which is, again, prayer. 
So for me, it's very important. In my last book, I dedicated a whole chapter to prayer because I felt I have to do justice to this. I mean, it deserves unlimited books and volumes and eternity of praise to that. But at least let's begin with one chapter. <laughs> so, yeah, chapter 13 of my book, I call The Realm of Contemplative Prayer. So here we are talking about something similar, the sacred realm of prayer. Prayer as a realm, as an abode, as a dimension, as a place to, from which to live our lives. It may begin, as we will see, by as a practice. Okay, I do this some hours a day, but eventually, as we say, if we do prayer properly, the, the, the experience of prayer will extend beyond the official daily hours till it becomes oh, my life. <laughs> my spiritual life becomes my life. Again, at the beginning, it may be my life and my spiritual practice. <laughs> Eventually, we, the two of them have to fully align together. My life, my spiritual practice. I don't, I don't see difference between the two now. Well, that's the idea, gradually reaching that Sajuja, that's a fusion we ask, the merging we accept. <laughs> and also, <clears throat> the idea came to talk about prayer since somehow we, are, we have been talking about prayer all these days. <laughs> Although we have not officially named in any lecture prayer, but so many of the things we have shared are so integral essential to prayer i don't know we began talking if i'm not mistaken one of the first lectures we talk on vulnerability a little bit so that has a lot to do with prayer how we show up for prayer no? in a situation that we are not showing up for praying to control the outcome but to show up as honestly as we can that's very vulnerable. I, I remember uh, one definition that Brene Brown, she's an, an expert on this area of vulnerability, and she said, vulnerability means to have the courage to show up when we don't have a control over the outcome. So for me, that's the definition of prayer. To have the courage to show up, to appear, when you don't have a control over what will happen, no? but to appear nonetheless. No? So that's prayer. Prayer, you don't know what will happen. <laughs> You're just showing yourself, appearing in front of the divine as honestly as you can. So vulnerability. And of course, part of vulnerability is what we talked yesterday a little bit, and these days on powerlessness, rule one of the 12 rules, 12 steps. <clears throat> to have that courage to acknowledge when something is beyond our control again, to let go, to give up, and to acknowledge someone else is in control. <clears throat> also, we talk these days about uh, individuation, trying to do something with our individuality, trying to develop our presentation of our uniqueness as souls in for the pleasure of krishna so prayer has a lot to do with that also prayer has to do with 
being myself, so to say, not escaping from who I am, but actually on the contrary, taking full responsibility for who I am and for all that I can be. Again, my potential, who I am, all that I can be. <clears throat> also, these days we talked about Sambanda and the interrelatedness of everything and how uh, we are connected with God, God is connected with everything, and therefore we are connected with everything and everyone. So prayer has a lot to do with that as well. Developing our relationship with the center and therefore with everything else. You know? It's an ongoing development of a relationship, which is eternal. Therefore, it can always be more developed. It's never a place. I already developed my relationship with Krishna. It's fully developed now. I will, that's not Krishna. <laughs> and that's not you. Because you have potential for unlimited development of relationship with everything, not only with Krishna. So we talked about that. You know, to enter that space where everything is in an ongoing development, eternal unfolding and evolution, that's how real relationships should work. It's not that we reach a point, okay, there's nothing else to develop, to discover, to learn, to love. That would be so frustrating. Also, we talked a little bit these days about the importance to coexist with uncertainty, with mystery, with what we don't know. Prayer has a lot to do with that also, like voluntarily entering that space. Again, what I'm facing, the ultimate mystery in one sense. In one sense, we know so much about Krishna, but in, in many other ways, we don't know so many things about Krishna. He always remains a mystery on some level. <laughs> and it's not a problem. We have to, again, to love the mystery, to love the mysterious side of, of Krishna. <clears throat> now we also talk these days about prayer. We mentioned that prayer as a training in dying, which is an interesting definition. On a daily basis, letting go, giving up our body in the sense of giving up our subtle body, our subtle ideas and conceptions that are limiting who I think I am, who I think God is, and therefore who I think my relationship with Him is. Because if I have a limiting idea about me and a limiting idea about Krishna, I have a limiting idea about the relationship between those two as well. So prayer has to do with Remaining open to acknowledge that, to change, to transform, to move forward forever. It's not that I will reach some point that I won't need anymore to adjust and transform. No, the transformation is ongoing. <clears throat> so that's it. I, I was sharing this in connection to how we have been actually talking about praying prayer all these days, although unofficially. I'd like to share a few words to begin with about <clears throat> also what prayer is not. No? Because sometimes we learn more, more first by deconstructing false myths about something. I think Eric Fromm in his Art of Loving, he starts the book by describing what love is not. 
if you survive that chapter, then you can move forward to the other ones. <laughs> when he starts to articulate all the layers of love. But first he's deconstructing the false ideas about that. Because if we don't do that first, we may just Eric from the art of loving. That's the name of the book. Yeah. Because if we don't do that first, we are just probably carrying on and projecting our false ideas into the real thing. Yeah. Via negativa, they call it in Christianity. You know? Like speaking about something by saying what that thing is not. I'm probably addressing our false assumptions about what that thing is. <laughs> so then after we recover from the shock of realizing all my ideas about that were wrong, <laughs> we will be in a place of reception. Okay, what that is actually. So it's important that we have the humility of being open at least to acknowledge probably I'm wrong about a lot of things. <laughs> But I want to learn about that. I want to grow. I want to refine my conception of things. And again, this is so many layers of this. It's not that, oh, no, okay, I now I met the Vaishnavs. I read the Bhagavad Gita three times. I've learned by heart half a verse. <laughs> so now I know what things are. Probably not. Probably we need another layer of further refining, further refining, further refining, and so on and so forth. So what prayer is not? Uh, well, let's address one of the main misunderstandings about that, which will be that prayer is not, uh, how to say, as I put in my book, some people think that prayer is a system for domesticating God. <laughs> no? so I approach him so he does my bidding instead of me doing his bidding no? you understand what do you what what's not clear yeah, it's clear now. So that's not prayer. <laughs> when we want God to do what I want, when we want Him to serve my agenda. But most people think that's prayer. They will go to pray when they need something, basically. <laughs> In their own limited framework i need this please provide thank you no so it's request and some gratitude when their request is fulfilled if the request is not fulfilled who knows how we are I, I, i'm angry god didn't reply i remember once talking even to a devotee who told me i asked krishna this so many times he didn't reply i closed my altar I like she she dismantled the whole altar. I'm angry with you now. <laughs> so, okay, well. this is even higher than indifference. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Bira Ras. Smash the door of the altar. Bira Ras. He, he must like it. <laughs> Some wrestling there. Yeah. Or sometimes we may also another 
misunderstanding about prayer is that we we will pray with a very what to say very superficial shallow confidence that i'm doing with god what 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 god wants by doing my daily prayers no like by chanting my number of rounds i'm pleasing krishna just by doing that just by doing the number i'm praying i'm pleasing him and that's not prayer either no? because i'm in our tradition i've seen some practitioners sometimes are more concerned with counting than with chanting to make a play of words the main concern is reaching a certain number not a certain quality of heart like if krishna will ask us at the end of our lives a number no? give me your give me your numbers of this lifetime please okay uh, you go <laughs> he's Baba Grahi Janardana. He's not number Grahi Janardana. <laughs> he's not someone who only takes the number. He's taking the essence of our heart, which in one sense is more challenging. In one sense is more easy. It's easier to say, I give you a number every day, and you have to take me to the lock. I've seen the devotees who have this like conviction that if I chant 16 rounds per day, every day without fail, at the end of my life, I'm going to Golok Vrindavan. <laughs> and it sounds like, wow, you have such a strong faith. But generally, it's not like that. No. It's very superficial. Sorry? It's a deal. A deal. Yeah. Signing the contract. But probably we didn't see the small letters in the contract. <laughs> Because, yeah, it's okay. If you chant 60 rounds every day without fail, you go to Golok. Okay, I agree. Provided that, <laughs> what's what do you mean by chanting? If you tell me you are chanting Sudanam, pure name, from all your heart, okay, yeah, you go there. <laughs> but just the number, 16? That's the point, no? If you really are chanting from the correct place, you, you 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 even lose the counting. No? Like sometimes we hear, as we were talking the other day, Haridas Thakur will chant 192. No? He was not just stopping at 16. <laughs> but sometimes we, when we hear about other personalities, like associates of Mahaprabhu, this one the devotee said once, Rupa Goswami or others, sometimes we don't, know how many rounds they chant per day exactly and sometimes the devotees say well that's because probably sometimes rupa goswami also he started chanting and at half round he passed out he fainted in ecstasy that was his chanting during that day half a round <laughs> and he was in ecstasy relishing the unlimited nectar and these two syllables as we were saying the other day the rest of the day he was crying to krishna give me more ears give me more tongues as we recited the verse just to give an example i'm not saying that he only chant the half around every day but i'm giving an example that what's krishna taking more into consideration huh? my god said maybe not even one name half a syllable <laughs> Because Krishna, yeah, Krishneti Dwan Barman Dwai, Rupa Goswami will pray. In these two syllables, there is so much, so probably that's the indirect implication. Just I get to one syllable and 
there I go, lost and found. <laughs> so anyhow, we are talking about what prayer is not. So again, prayer is not trying to domesticate God and making him do what I want. Prayer is not having this superficial confidence. I'm finishing my daily number and I'm doing what I have to do. I'm correct. Krishna is pleased. I'm going to Golok, etc. Uh, yeah, pr prayer is not about pro problem solving. No, that's something important. No, it's not that, okay, I will chant and I will address Krishna for him to solve prob my problems. Or if you like to think in that term, then the problem, I am the problem. So I'll address Krishna and solve me. <laughs> Not so much solve what's happening around me so I can enjoy life nicely, but solve me. I am the problem. Because I am the problem, I see so many problems outside of me. I'm projecting my own problematic views into the environment. But as we were saying yesterday, there are no problems technically speaking, outside of me. There are no enemies. There are, there's nothing that we need to try to fix. Mm -hmm. well, as Gandhi will say, be the, be the change you want to see in the world. You want, to see, you want peace in the world? That's great. The best thing you can do for world peace is be at peace with yourself. And you're like, oops, that's not so easy. <laughs> It's easier to go on the streets and say peace for the world and sometimes even burn everything in the name of peace. <laughs> but to be at peace with yourself, that's a way more substantial contribution. So again, prayer is not about problem solving in this sense that Krishna solve all my, all the things that are happening due to my own misbehavior. <laughs> I'm creating all these situations, solve them, solve them. But the root of that solving is solve me. As much as you solve me, everything else will be solved in my life. And probably I will be able to help others to solve their own life as well. So these are a few ideas on what prayer is not, trying to demystify these false notions. So what prayer, what prayer is? few words on the positive side and I like to read something if it's possible from here from my book from the chapter of contemplative prayer so who will translate Krishna Chandra okay so Sorry? Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. 295. She's such a good student. <laughs> so, prayer is not limited to certain specific actions, nor does it constitute a mere, mere recital of prayers. A recital? Oh, yeah. 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 Y
it mostly has to do with whatever we may happen to be doing in a prayerful mood. Prayer is ultimately a mood, a stance, a realm, and not a one-act performance or an occasional weekend ritual. Real prayer is a way of life to be thoroughly assimilated through dedication and practice. It is something with the potential of becoming not only a genuine source of shelter, and divine revelation, but also a part of our very identity. In other words, prayer is not so much something we do, but something we are. As someone, well, I mean, this you may not be able to make a play of words in German because a play of words in English, but let's see, you never know. As, as someone who writes becomes a writer. So, when someone writes, is a writer, also a schreiber, and someone who plays becomes a player. Someone who prays becomes a prayer. Sorry, in German, maybe it's not the play of words. But not so much. <laughs> so the idea is, if you pray, you become prayer yourself. So as Krishna Chandra was saying in the beginning, prayer is not so much something we do, but who we are. This is... It's about like how to say, yeah. But let's continue on, on, on developing the idea of what prayer is and what prayer is not. I will go back and forth to the to these dynamics. What that is, what that is not. So as we were talking yesterday about how addicted we may be to our thoughts. So prayer is a prayer is a great place to work on that. Because if not, we are bringing all our thoughts to prayer and just projecting them to God and filtering all the prayer experience through our addiction, basically. So, so prayer is not so much about changing God's mind, but, but prayer is about changing our own mind about God. Hmm? I will repeat it again, just in case. <laughs> so prayer is not about changing God's mind, but trying to change our own mind about Him. So to be open to change our thoughts about who we think Krishna is. Because we have our own idea about Krishna. And I'm not saying you're having the wrong idea. But we may have a wrong idea. But it would be silly to even try something that isn't possible and it's a perfect waste of time. 
We are so expert at that. There's people who really think they can change God's mind. They try as hard as they can. <laughs> and prayer becomes like a manipulated, magical yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. So the point here is trying to remain open to to change our mind about Krishna. We know who Krishna is on some level, but we should be able to allow Krishna to show to us that he's way more than that. You follow my point? One sense we know Krishna, we understand Krishna on some level, but on some level he can be understood endlessly. He can be known endlessly, without end. Endlessly. No? So we can know an experience. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying even on theoretical level because you can learn a lot, include a lot of information, but information is not the same as transformation. But even you can have lots of transformation. And still, Krishna is way beyond that. There's always something more to experience. So we have to be careful that in prayer we are not projecting again a limited and therefore a limiting idea of who he is or who we are relating to. And there is a lot of that sometimes. There is a lot, for example, of people who have unresolved parent issues from childhood and they project their whatever they, they experience with the par parent figure to God. Some time ago, I, I, I read a book interesting. It was a research that they did, and they say that I was, it was like, I don't know the number, but kind of 99% of people who do not believe in God, they somehow had some parent issues as childhood. There was a very strong correlation between something that I received from my parents, which was not very nice. And then when someone talks about God, unconsciously probably, I project that onto that figure and say, I cannot believe in that. No? They think that God is like the that same repeated figure. pattern. Yeah. Even unconsciously, again, not consciously. So it's important that we, again, in prayer, we show up to Krishna. We are open for him to reveal to us, himself to us, as he wishes, not as we think he should appear or give me this mercy or reply to this prayer. In that sense, I think we were talking some days ago with Krishna Chandra about this practice that they have in mystical Christianity called centering prayer. And centering prayer basically means that they sit in silence consenting to God's presence in, in, in us. Like I sit and I just like, I consent to God's a, a presence in my life in this moment without even thinking about him. Because thinking is already some filter that we are putting. I present to Krishna and I try to be as present as I can in the present moment without projecting my own ideas about who he is, how he should appear, and just allow him to appear as he considers. It sounds very simple, but you, if you try, you will see it's not simple at all. 
immediately you start to think about many things or even about Krishna, how he is, how he should be, and in a limited way, as you know him, as you have experienced till now. And that's not giving him place to be something else in our lives. <laughs> so that's a very interesting practice that Mystic Christianity have and all these other traditions, so to say, it's the essence is very much in line with what we are talking here. Because as we were talking the other day, also for, for some of us, sometimes God is more, more a, how to say, a theological concept than a real person. Many times we relate to an idea of God, an idea of Krishna, an idea of Mahaprabhu. But he's an actual person that we should relate to. Hmm? The, the prayer is for meeting the person behind the concept. <laughs> We have the concept Krishna, but in prayer we have to meet the person Krishna. <laughs> the concept has to be put aside in one sense, or the concept has to take us to the experience of the person. It's not enough that God is an idea for us. It's like if I tell you, oh, for me Krishna Chandra is an idea. It doesn't sound too, too real, too, too interesting. Romantic. Yeah. <laughs> it's an idea. The concept, the concept Krishna Chandra. Let's talk about the Krishna Chandra concept. And it's like, now Maharaj, come on, he's a person also. You can relate to him, you can experience life. So that's way more exciting than just reducing him to some platonic concept in the ether or something. So be careful of not doing the same thing with Krishna. That's the point. <laughs> Because we can say, no, he's a person, he's a person. Yeah, as, as, as Krishna Chandra said, we can render lip service to so many things. From the mouth out, we can say a lot. And I have to take be careful because as you are getting to know me, I say a lot. I have a big mouth. I talk, I talk, I talk, I talk. But then after concluding my talk, Krishna will say, okay, you say all those nice things for an hour and a half. Let's see how what's going on from your mouth in. And sometimes I pass the test, sometimes I don't. <laughs> but that's how we learn, how we grow. And also the point is we we can render lip service to something, but we have also to render internal service. Now it's what happens from the lip inside, not so much from the lip outside. So, so it's important that we, again, in prayer address the object of our prayer as a real person with all the if you want to put it like that all the risk that a personal relationship entails because sometimes keeping krishna as a concept is kind of he remains of some form of imaginary figure without the risk of a real relationship <laughs> because any real relationship is about commitment especially a relationship with someone like krishna it's the greatest commitment. So unconsciously, sometimes it's easier. Let's keep Krishna as an imaginary concept. It's not so risky. But approaching the real person 100%, that's another level. <laughs> but that's what prayer is about. We have to be very courageous to show up in prayer. Because if not, again, we will pray, we will chant, but Krishna is not 
we are not addressing the real person, the real Krishna. As I said the other day, this, this quote from Teresa de Avila, she's a Christian, she was a Christian mystic, very much into prayer. Now there's were they were these wild people who were like 20 hours a day in a, in a room for the whole life <laughs> with just one little window and absorbed in developing that relationship. And she basically said, most of us have trouble with prayer because we pray as if God is absent. We pray as God is absent. We don't pray as if he will be present. We pray as if God is absent. We pray as if he's not a real person. Again, we are relating to an idea, to a concept, or to our own mind. We are just sometimes having monologue with our minds, not even dialogue. <laughs> as if he does not exist, as we were talking the other day. Officially, we are theists. But sometimes in practice, we act as if God does not exist. So in those moments, we are officially atheist in practicality. <laughs> So that's what we say the other day, no? Prayer is a training in dying. And one aspect of that training in dying is training in dying of the ideas that I may have about God. And let those ideas die so I reach a deeper experience of who he is as a person. And eventually let that die and then get close and then get close and then get close. That's progress. You accept something higher, you let go of something lower. Yes, if something higher, you let up something lower. That's how Srila Siddha Maharaj describes progress. Accepting a higher level of reality, letting go the lower. Ad infinitum, without end, basically. And that's not easy again, but don't get discouraged. That's not impossible either, as we were talking these days. And that's part of the of the death experience in prayer because in one day in one sense as we talk these days we may realize and i'm the first one to raise my hand that we fail in that so many times <laughs> uh, and that can be humiliating basically <laughs> we don't need some other people to humiliate us you just go to prayer and, and you will very quickly <laughs> be humiliated in the sense of witnessing oh, how much I'm failing, how much I'm I'm not treating Krishna as a real person many times. How much I, many times I want to manipulate him. Without bad intention, but those mechanisms are so ingrained from time immemorial, if you will. Would you like to share? Could you share something? So I can... in, in connection to a conception of God or in connection to anything? Just what you said three phrases ago. It's important to let go of something lower mm -hmm. or something higher. Mm -hmm. Like let, let go of a lower, my point was letting go of some, a lower understanding of something to arrive to a higher understanding of the same thing. Yeah. No? Could you share an example. Okay. Let, let's go to the yeah, to the unauthorized biography of Swami Padmanabha. No. <laughs> From my prayer. Uh, well, as you may know, recently, maybe yeah, 
it's from my life. From my life, I, I'm trying that my life becomes a prayer life, so I don't need to just limit that to one day I was sitting in prayer, but just something happened in my life, and that's in connection to prayer. <laughs> and, and you may know this, of course, know that last year, for example, I was uh, invited to take some distance from the sangha I belonged before. So I was part of a certain particular community uh, with certain values and certain ideals on some level. But at one point I was made to choose between remaining there, but having to compromise my identity and, and, and remaining there because of fear and because of compliance and because of just remaining because for the status quo, so to say, and keeping my position and my places to visit and my admirers, so and to say, security. and my security in so many ways, physical, financial, blah, 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 blah. That was one choice, one level. And the other choice was, no, I never joined for this. <laughs> I never joined Christian consciousness for this. I joined here for looking for the truth, for looking for God. And I'm willing to pay the price of continuing to that, even if that implies losing everything else. So by Krishna's mercy, I was able to choose, in my opinion, the correct option, which was I lose everything else, <laughs> but I don't lose my integrity. So I can go at night and be at peace with my pillow, so to say. My consciousness allows me to go to sleep. Now, I have not betrayed myself. So for me, that was an upgrade was to, to arrive into a new place because it was a totally unknown, unexpected place, totally out of my comfort zone, totally what we call liminal space, which is a space where you are transitioning from a known situation to another new situation, but you are not no longer in the previous situation and you are not in the new situation either. You are just on the threshold, as they say in English, you know, like in the space in between. And I will say after a year, I'm still somehow on some level in the space in between. <laughs> Transitions can take time. And in, there are supremely uncomfortable <laughs> to be in a transition when, when, again, there's not so much certainty. And you realize, my gosh, how addicted I am to certainty. So you need to be put in a situation where there is no, almost no, no certainty about many things. But also in that situation, Krishna is showing his shelter, his mercy, his inspiration like ever before, like never before. So that's the main certainty that still is there, stronger than ever. So that's an example of, for me, in personal level. like, And I'm grateful for the lower conception I left. I'm not condemning that. That's my point. When we are making this progress, reaching a higher thing is not that the lower is like that was so low that was so bad i hate it no we are grateful to all the previous stages so to say we learn from that they allowed us to pass to the next one and so on but yeah it's important to acknowledge the the new place we are in and what took took us there as well yeah so i was talking that again in that in those experiences sometimes that there may be some humiliation but humiliation not in the as a, in, in a bad sense of course humiliating others is not healthy 
but sometimes we go ourselves through situations where we feel humiliated with ourselves. And interestingly, the word humility is connected with humiliation. A healthy humiliation, again. No? And the Latin word... Humus. Humus. Mm -hmm. Going to the earth. Yeah. The Latin, the origin, the Latin for humility is humus, which means soil, earth. Go down and <laughs> ground yourself. So, so some, I, I remember once I read this, I think from Thomas Keating, he said that the path of conversion will be experienced as nothing but a series of necessary humiliations <laughs> to the false self. Again, to the false self. Humbling it down, putting it to the earth. No? Necessary humiliation, not unnecessary. No? And again, it's not someone else is humiliating us, but we are going through that in our own prayer experience, by growing, by letting go, and so on. So, yeah, in case you haven't realized it yet, prayer is not comfort zone. <laughs> of course, it gives another type of comfort, a deeper comfort, but not the comfort zone as we know it. But to make a play of words in English, prayer is not comfort zone, but it's confront zone. Hmm? When you confront, confront means you put something in front of you something that probably was under the rough under the carpet for lifetimes <laughs> and you decide okay it's time to look at each other face to face eye to eye to confront confront doesn't mean a bad word in fact the word confrontation it has to do with intimacy if i confront someone in, in a relationship doesn't mean I'm attacking the person, I'm being violent. Confrontation means we are putting something in front of us, something that we need to see instead of hiding it somewhere. So in that sense, prayer is the ultimate confrontation where we try to present ourselves as naked as we can, as honest, as vulnerable. And that will allow intimacy in prayer, in connection to God. Also, another aspect of prayer that I like to share, and I know that you here are very fond of that, is silence. A few words on silence, although it may sound contradictory. A few words on silence. <laughs> Sometimes the best thing we can say about silence is to be in silence, but let me share a few words on silence. Let me read something from my book about silence. Page 310, <laughs> short, short section. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah. So, this relationship of that prayer represents is all about intimacy depth, beauty. However, to develop a relationship with the divine through prayer presupposes a willingness to listen to him. 
hat eine Vorbedingung, dass man wirklich ganz tief hinhört. Und Listening ist ein Act of Silence. Und Zuhören ist ein Akt von Stille. Therefore, Silence doesn't mean don't speak. Und Stille heißt nicht, nicht sprechen. But rather means hear attentively. Aber enorm gut zuhören. In Bhagavad Gita, Gita 1038, 1038, Sri Krishna says Krishna, that among all secret things, he is Prabhupada comments that among the confidential activities of hearing, thinking and meditating, Silence is most important because by silence one can make progress very quickly. In fact, Srimad Bhagavatam 7.15.77 declares that the sweet absolute is he who is worshipped by silence. So a few words from referring to Bhagavatam and the Gita about and in Gita, silence. When Arjuna puts all his argument, oh, I don't want to fight, I don't want blah, 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 blah. Krishna and is. then at one point it said, and Arjuna became silent mm -hmm. because lamentation has the tendency that it cannot be Extra, um, extrapolated all the time, so uh, you know it gets tired. So then it became silent, and the next word in Gita is Sri Bhagavan Uvacha. Mm -hmm. So it needs this element that God starts speaking. Mm -hmm. What? This silence would be a little bit. It doesn't. Krishna was just waiting for the moment where his arms were empty. You know, he, he had no more bullets to fight anymore. So some yeah i think that's a an important point that silence is how yeah how krishna speaks uh, not so much that krishna speaks in silence it's not that he is, has nothing to say but he speaks through silence now we we need to to enter into silence to stop the noise so we can listen so silence is, of course, we are not talking, but it's not so much about not doing something, <laughs> but doing something so you we can do something and so we can attune more subtly to what's already sounding, but sometimes there is too much noise <laughs> in our system. <clears throat> so it's yeah, I, I like how Krishna says in the Gita, he's from all secrets and silence. No, the connection between this not only silent but secret no, like implying something very secret re is revealed in silence 
something very confident it's not a public consumption like we will be this it will be something like it will be very you have to have ears to hear eyes to see basically and it's interesting because krishna also in the gita says raja guhyam of all secrets the king of all secrets is bhakti and then he said from all secrets i'm silence so you can start to connect all the things together you know silence secrets bhakti no and how very subtle deep truths of bhakti are coming to us in silence and of course silence is not only shut your mouth again because you cannot talk but internally you can be like and that's not silence again <laughs> and and you can be talking from a proper place and that silence also sometimes that's also compared maunam to harikata if it's spoken from the right place again real harikata is not just lip level <laughs> but many times we need to to literally stop talking because i mean not everyone has the capacity to always be talking harikata from the deeper place now i remember there was one situation with some disciples of Srila Prabhupada, bhaktivedanta swami no? in those beginning days no? lots of fanaticism and everyone has to be done like this <laughs> and they were in india and they heard about the yogi i think who was doing mauna brat for in india you have them no mauna brat for the last 55 years or something bow of silence yeah bow of silence sorry so he was not talking for decades and sometimes he will write on a blackboard a little thing if he needed or something so they these devotees went to challenge him no <laughs> <laughs> let's conquer him let's convert him let's defeat him this impersonal joy who is not talking and all that stuff no so they came to him like with the books and all like <laughs> so they told him like to be in silence is not the highest thing thing the highest thing is to always be talking about krishna basically that was the basic argument and the yogi took the how is it chalk? And he wrote, and do you do that? That was what he wrote. And the devotees were like, just common sense. Okay, even if that's a high good thing, are you doing that? Because if you are not doing that, you cannot come to others and tell them what they should be doing. If you are not doing that, you have to walk your talk, as they say in English. So, so yeah, it's important. Silence is very important. Krishna reveals so many things in in between the lines when we are able to listen attentively. And for us, it's interesting because in our tradition, the first anga of bhakti is shravanam. But sometimes we understand shravanam only like sitting in the class and hearing harikata, which of course that's shravanam. Hearing about the lila, the form, the quality, that's shravan. But why do not extend the practice of shravan to listening in silence? No? The listening that goes on during silence. That's another form of shravan also. Hearing, listening. Listen, maybe it's not listening about Krishna, but it will be listening to Krishna. 
no? in prayer. No, sometimes we may be in prayer. Maybe there may be words. May there may be no words. Sometimes there is this famous quote from John Bunyan. Maybe you heard that one. He said, "In prayer, it's better to have a heart without words than words without heart." <laughs> mm -hmm. So sometimes in prayer, you won't have words, but the heart is in the proper place. And Krishna is talking, and you are listening. That's Shravan, direct Shravan to Krishna's will, revealing in your heart. Hmm? But that said, sometimes listening is not so easy. <clears throat> Although it sounds simple, but many times we are not willing to listen. Even between each other and our relationship, to really listen means to be empathic with what the other person is saying, to be present to the other person and to be willing to be transformed by what we are listening. It's not that, okay, I listen to you, but I'm completely blocked. And just like we talked the other day, no, Bada, Jalpa, Vitanda. So Jalpa is, okay, you talk, I listen, but I'm completely unwilling to be changed by what you have to tell me. So how much listening is that? So we can, okay, I will listen, Krishna, I will listen to you, but we are not, because we may be afraid of being transformed. Many, that's paradoxical. There's not, love, love is the thing that most transforms us. But sometimes transformation is the thing that we fear the most. <laughs> so in one sense, love is the thing that we most need and want. And so in one sense, we could say love is the thing we most fear. Because love in, implies the greatest transformation. And sometimes we are terrified about change. <laughs> and love begins by hearing, by listening, Shravan. One more quote. This is from. This is not from me, but I quote in my book about the fear of listening. It's very interesting. This is from Carl. This comes from Carl Rogers. He is a psychologist. Yeah, page three hundred and eleven. He says the great majority of us cannot listen. We find ourselves compelled to evaluate because listening is too dangerous the first first requirement of listening is courage and we do not always have it if you really understand a person in this way through attentive hearing if you are willing to enter his private world and, and see the way life appears to him, you run the risk of being changed yourself. And this risk of being changed is, is one of the most frightening prospects most of us can face. Of course, I'm not saying this to make you afraid. I'm just saying that's something that happens. That's something that happens, but that's something that as spiritual practitioners in prayer, we have to confront. That's the glory of our journey. Even if we will fail 
miserably so many times still. <laughs> still, if we are honest to acknowledge this and work on that, that's in itself glorious. <laughs> and we have so much support and so much love coming from Krishna in, in the midst of our fears and messiness, as we already also talk these days. So I'd like to conclude with, with a little section in, in this connection also about Krishna's unconditional love toward each of us. So we balance the messiness and the fear and the problems we may be going, balance that with God's unconditional love at every moment. Mm -hmm. So that fills us with hope and relief and strength to continue our prayer journey. Because as we say yesterday, not every day of prayer will be glorious. I mean, every day is glorious, but we may not feel it as glorious. <laughs> but for Krishna, it's glorious. It's like, wow, you're tr trying to pray again. Although for you, it was a disaster. Krishna's like, oh, oh, so beautiful. Continue doing it. Hmm? So, so, of course, again, prayer has to do with, I will say, first of all, recognizing God's Krishna's position. Who is him? then and, and which is which is him is which is his what's his love what's his intentions toward me first establishing that clearly who is the person i'm i'm addressing in prayer and having the proper idea again about that <laughs> establishing that properly in the throne so to say then a recognition of who i am what's my position because it's a it's a dialogue here it's a two-way street it's not only about me Praying is not only about only Krishna talking, it's we are trying to have some communication, trying to develop the relationship. So who he is, what's his love, what's which are his intentions toward me, who I am, who I am in connection to him, what's all that I can be in connection to him. So after establishing who he is, who I am, then a recognition of the bond that we share no? what do we have in common so to say with it with each, the between the two of us what do we have mm -hmm. so we have the so to say the the, the beloved the lover and love no? if you want to put it in those words no? Mm -hmm. no? him me us no? or her me us <laughs> or they me us as you as you feel more inspiring <laughs> and again once we establish this properly we are invited to be as naked as we can as we mentioned to experience darshan and as we say the other day darshan doesn't only mean to see krishna but allow ourselves to be seen understanding that I'm being seen through an eye of unconditional love. I'm not being seen by a judgmental eye, no? by someone who is like chastising and judging and condemning and and all the things that sometimes we do to ourselves. Krishna is not doing that. <laughs> but we are being loved unconditionally by Krishna. Unconditionally means no matter your condition. Sorry that I repeat the same thing over and over again because sometimes it's, it's not entering. So it's at least in my own case. So I need to 
probably you already got it lifetimes ago, <laughs> but I need to pound the post a few more times so it's fixed. Huh? This type of logic in Sanskrit calls tuna nikanana nyaya, which means pounding the post. If you want the post to be fixed, you cannot just do one time, it's fixed. You have to do one, two, three, no? Harenam, 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 Aiva Kivalam, Kalo Nastiev, 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 Tiranjata. It's not that Vyasadev has some problem with stuttering, no? Repeating the same thing again. No, Sadhu Sangha, Sadhu Sangha, Sarvasas. There's some emphasis that for some reason, why they are saying that so many times the same thing? Probably that's something important. So that's the case here. We need to understand that Krishna is having unconditional love for everyone. He's saying in the Gita, Suvridam Sarvabhutana. I'm the most, the best well-wishing friend of all living entities. Try to imagine. In one line, he's putting that. I'm the best Suvrit. Suvrit is not only friend, but it's a very heart-like friend, a well-wisher, someone who wants the best possible for you. So he's saying, that goes for every single living entity. I'm the best friend and well-wisher. And there are many other, let me share one word from Jiva Goswami in this connection, page 300. So he's, he, Jiva Goswami is saying, by coming to the house of a low person devoid of bhakti, the Lord shows equal vision to all beings. This means Nityananda when he's coming there, or no? Here is it's an, it's an explanation of the Bhagavata verse when Krishna visits Sudam. Krishna comes to Sudam, So he does not have prejudiced vision. Thinking this person deserves mercy and that person does not. He does not have that vision because he has unconditional mercy. Moreover, he has affection for the universe. So we're going to limit that to people only. Whatever is inside the planet. <laughs> Though he shows mercy to those who worship him, Jiva Goswami continues, He's equal to all beings, high or low, since he is the Lord of the universe and affectionate to the fallen. There are so many other sections like that. Here I quote like two pages of that. I don't want to torture you now with quotes. I'll share a few. But not just like little lines of how Krishna is addressing connection to unconditional love. Again, Suhridam Sarvabhuta now already explained. He who views nothing as separate from himself. The, dear, the supreme friend and dearmost soul of everyone. He who has love for all beings as his very self. 
He who descends for the benefit of all the souls in the world. This Bhagavatam Bhagavad 10, 10.47. Okay, yeah, there are many, there are many. <laughs> Anyhow, there are many, eh? that's it. I just want to share that for us to be clear. Krishna has unconditional love for everyone. And I clarify that because sometimes we hear Krishna only loves his devotees or reciprocates with his devotees. And with everyone else, indifferent. And it's like, oops, <laughs> that sounds a little hard to accommodate. But we have all these statements that I have shared now. He's not speaking here about my devotees only. Speaking about everything, everyone and everything. So how to harmonize that? So an example could, could be given to, to illustrate this in a better way. Because as we say already, Krishna is Krishna does not only have love, but he is his love, he's made of love. I mean you cannot separate Krishna and love as much as you can separate Radha and Krishna, if you will, but in one sense they are one. <laughs> so he's made of that. So if he's made of that, he cannot not love. Because he's made of that. If you are made of love, you, you cannot stop loving because you are made of them. <laughs> but when the scriptures speak strongly about how Krishna reciprocates with the devotees, of course, he loves them in a special way. Why? Because also the devotees are loving him in a special way. So he's bound to reciprocate in a special way. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't love anyone else. He loves everyone else, but since everyone else is not reciprocating, <laughs> his love takes another form. No. The example we can give is that of the mother. The mother may have, can have a baby, let's say, and the baby has I don't know, two months. So the baby is not reciprocating with the mother too much, basically. I mean, the baby is not aware that he has a mother yet. The baby is not aware of his own self yet, probably. <laughs> what to speak of the mother, what to speak of reciprocating in kind, that will come in time. But that doesn't mean that the mother at that time doesn't love the child already. But her love for the child just takes a certain shape because the child is not reciprocating. Yeah. So the love is there, but when the child grows and becomes aware of himself, his mother, the love of his mother, he feels naturally compelled to reciprocate. So now that love that was in the mother originally takes another form to reciprocate to the love of the child. It becomes more intense, more deep. But it doesn't mean that there was no love to begin with. So similarly, that's an analogy. We can say the same thing. God has unconditional love to everyone. But when certain childlike souls grow and become aware of that unconditional love, they reciprocate. 
and then Krishna reciprocates to that reciprocation, so to say. And that love takes another form in particular. So I'm saying all this in the context of prayer, just concluding, because I think it's very healing and very humbling also to understand how Krishna is loving us unconditionally, despite our messiness. It gives hope, it gives relief. And it's also inspiring to reciprocate. Again, it's not like, oh, Krishna loves me unconditionally, so I can't relax, I won't do anything. I can do anything because he loves me unconditionally. That's the same. No, on the contrary, at least if you are sincere and you understand that person is loving you, even in the moments when you deserve that the least, that will touch your heart in a way that I want to give something back to that person. And I will say that's the best self-esteem system that we can have. <laughs> no. I'm being loved by God, even without deserving it. Wow. There is something in my intrinsic constitution that is lovable to God. That's what St. John of the Cross said in Christianity. That's interesting. He will say, love what God sees in you. He's finding in you something that is lovable. So try you yourself to love that same thing also, which is not your own merit. It's not your own creation. So you cannot get proud about that. <laughs> That's the thing. This in a way that you become more and more humble. There is something in me that God loves. So I have to identify with that and love that as well. But it's again, it's not a selfish love. I'm incredible. I'm so special because that's in everyone, in everything. So that's important in prayer, not to acknowledge there is something lovable in us by God's grace. <laughs> we should humbly identify with that and then we should reciprocate accordingly. I will say that's a very healthy healthy motivation for us to engage in bhakti. No? I'm not addressing Krishna out of fear. I'm not addressing Krishna out of even duty. But I'm addressing, trying to reciprocate with him because he's already loving me unconditionally. So whatever I do in bhakti is the natural result of me trying to reciprocate in kind to that unconditional love he, he gave. Like Thomas, Thomas Merton will say, if you are praying, if you're praying, you are not doing the kickstart. You're not starting. God started the conversation. So when you sit to pray, you're just trying to continue, go give back something to what he sent to you that made you pray to him. So you, we, will, we should never think, okay, I will start to pray and let's see if Krishna has something to tell me. No? But I am beginning this whole conversation. No, no, no. no. <laughs> He's beginning and we are trying to... On, to respond. To respond. Yeah. To honor that, to, to give back something. But with that humility of He's already sending that. He's already loving and conditioned. Hmm? One more thing, but... You will 
you will be next in the questions. Yeah. So, so again, for it's important to understand prayer means among many things. Of course, we can say so many things about prayer. I'm not just saying whatever ever uh, someone can say about prayer. I'm saying it here. I'm just touching one point of an infinite line. But one aspect of prayer will be to remain aware <clears throat> of how I'm being loved unconditionally. And how do I need that? How do I need that unconditionality in my present situation? Because if Krishna loves me conditionally, I lost the game. <laughs> if, if he will be only loving me when I deserve it or something, that's that's not love. Just That's it. <laughs> love is unconditional. Hmm. And when we understand, as we say these days also, of course, it's challenging because, okay, it's so relieving and so beautiful to know Krishna is loving me unconditionally, but he's also loving everyone else unconditionally. And I should treat everyone in that way. When I address everyone, is I'm addressing someone who's being loved unconditionally by Krishna in this precise moment. So how I'm treating that unity that is being loved unconditionally. Hmm. That's challenging. <laughs> Again, it's beautiful that we are receiving that. And it's beautiful that everyone is receiving that, but it's challenging how we... But it's made in such a way that we are invited to relate to each other from that place of unconditional love. Once this idea came to me about the third verse of Shikshastakam, and, and how we can understand that verse in terms of unconditional love. Like be very humble, because when you realize I'm being loved unconditionally, that's very humbling. I mean, I'm such a mess till now, and still Krishna is loving me. That that brings so much humility. <laughs> you you won't become proud. Become very tolerant. Like Tarora Pisagishana, why? You are being loved unconditionally. In other words, Krishna is tolerating so much of you. <laughs> He's not complaining. He's still in your heart. He didn't put a sign, I'm tired of all that. So enough. Enough. That's it. End of the game. So I'm being loved unconditionally. Naturally, to, to, that type of tolerance will be a natural byproduct. Amanina manadina. Respect everyone. Why? Because they are lo being loved unconditionally by Krishna. That's a very deep way of respecting everyone. Not so much like I have to respect that Swami that is coming to visit because he's Maharaj or something. It's like everyone is being loved unconditionally by Krishna. Wow. I bow down to that. And don't expect respect. What does it mean? That you don't need anyone to respect you in, in, in a superficial way because Krishna is already loving you unconditionally. That's the most validating thing you can possibly receive. I don't need to have the whole world validating me and saying, Kijai, Kijai, respect me, respect me. Already Krishna loves you unconditionally. What more do you need than that? <laughs> so that way you can read this so such an important verse for us, Sikshakstakan tree through the lens of unconditional love. But again, one more thing, not the, the price of uncon unconditional love is costless. Sometimes we say costless mercy, but it's not priceless. Costless mercy is not priceless mercy. We have to pay some price. And what do I mean by this? 
we need to be very humble to accept that we are being loved unconditionally. Because if you think I'm being loved and I'm not deserving, I'm not deserving this. You can never deserve unconditional love. That's for the false ego. That's like poison. That you are receiving something that you will never deserve. The ego always wants to deserve stuff. I have my merit. I did this. I obtained that. I deserve it. But with unconditional love, there's a completely different set of... It's another system, another language. It's unconditional. You haven't deserved it. And no matter what you do, you will never deserve it. Because unconditional love is too much to be deserved. That's for the false ego. It's a bomb, atomic bomb. <laughs> you need really to be very humble to accept, okay, I'm receiving this unconditional love that I need so much and that I will never deserve no matter what I do. That keeps you in a very humble place. But we have to embrace that humility because if we cannot accept that, we will try to we will escape from that. I will try to deserve things, and then we are back to the realm of cause and effect. <laughs> no more unconditional love, so to say. So anyhow, some words in connection to to prayer. I like I liked to conclude on this note as unconditional love and to balance what we mentioned about the possible daily humiliations we may be going through in prayer as well and trying to put everything on the scale and be very feel very blessed that we have in this lifetime the opportunity to even glimpse at the window of what prayer means as a lifestyle as a life and and also even as something that will that is contributing to the whole world no? because sometimes Prayer is underestimated in that sense of, of on the effect that it's creating in the whole planet, if you will. Because as we mentioned, if you do want to do something to change the world, first change yourself. And one of the main ways you can change yourself is through prayer. Sometimes these prayer hermits probably are doing more to change the world than many other people who is an activist. I'm not condemning activism in society. There's place for everything, but someone from their hermit can be creating an equally powerful healing and transformation in the world. Once one devotee say this planet remains in its orbit due to the prayers of saintly people, they say. There will be the presence of those, those saintly people if we will not have the presence of those prayers, whether the prayer or the people who is praying who become prayer, Probably Earth goes down and Baraha Dev is requested again to <laughs> bring it back. So that's also part in part my appreciation to all of you forest dwellers here in the mountain, <laughs> praying, trying to commit your life to deep introspection and silence and prayer and chanting, and knowing that the effect of that goes way beyond. Uh, Zurich and this particular town and Switzerland and planet Earth, but it's a contribution in way deeper ways, reaching 
even Krishna in his personal life, we could say eventually. <laughs> so anyhow, thank you so much. And we we have a few minutes if there are questions. Darvika raised her hand a few moments ago, so mm -hmm. your turn. I pass you the mic symbolically. Ich frage mich auch Deutsch, ja. Wir haben ja gehört, wie wichtig das persönliche Gebet ist und auch welche Tücken es hat in seiner Bedingtheit, weil wir ja auch aus einer bedingten Position heraus beten. Also, dass es eine Limitierung hat, weil wir von einer konditionen Seite beten. Und dann haben wir in dem Zusammenhang gehört, wie wichtig es ist, eben in die Stille zu gehen, um horchsam zu werden. Weil ich da auch so gehört habe, oder darüber sprechen wir auch immer, dass es dann wie so ein, da kann so die Bedingtheit wie so ins Leere laufen und man kann eben wirklich wie leer werden und darin empfänglich werden. How the whole conditions side doesn't have life choose anymore, it gets empty and then becomes we are, something is opening to receive, to be blessed. Und ich fände es schön, noch mal was zu hören, auch wenn es vielleicht noch mal so ein großes Thema ist. Und er hat ja gesagt, er hat ja jetzt wie nur so ein Aspekt oder kleine Aspekte vom Gebet gestriffen. Ich würde so gern noch mal von, von ihm hören, ähm, wie das persönliche Gebet im Verhältnis steht eben auch zu Harinam oder auch was er am Ende nannte, die Gebete all der Heiligen, die es gibt und die wir ja auch singen und die okay. wir versuchen zu vertiefen. Und Harikatha eben als, als Teile vom Gebet, also so what is die Relation between personal prayer and prayers by great saints and Harinam and Harikatha, what is the interrelationship between personal prayer, our own life of prayer and the Harikatha and the Holy Name? And the prayers of great saints. And Darvika is trying to trick me no. to, to stay here three more weeks so I have I can reply to her question. Because or to come back. <laughs> I mean, of course, we will say something, but my point is there is so yeah. much to say, and, yeah. and I like the question because of course it invites to. But first of all, Krishna, tell me a few words on that. No, I'm speaking all the Camera time. Camera is with you, sorry. Was <laughs> <laughs> well, not my choice. It's the cameraman there putting that. I don't know who's behind the camera. For me personally, they're like different kinds of invitations like sadhu sangha or speaking the prayers of sadhus is an invitation and harikatha is an invitation because i'm floating on something i'm not making 
at all. And and sometimes I feel like they want Radha and Krishna and the saints whose prayers I'm singing. They look at me, and this is also an aspect you mentioned it also. Each and every prayer is not air just floating out. There is a presence around me who is hearing it. So, and they feel I'm carrying this little soul, Krishna Chandra, Harikata, Sadhu Sangha, the prayers of the Acharyas, Harinam. But then I sometimes I feel how they also want to see. So, and how are you doing? What is your reaction? Because even Radha and Krishna and even saintly personalities, they're not just saying, I'm speaking and I'm carrying you, but you are an insignificant jiva. They have like an interest. Say, so what is your reaction? What do, now I spoke something, I carried you and I did something to you. What is your reaction? What do you want to tell, which is a very interesting aspect of communication. And for me, this is the personal prayer. So I'm getting so many invitations to be carried by a power which is much beyond me. But then sometimes they just want to be, so, and what is about you? And, you know, it's like you give the example, um, the father sometimes is holding the child, learning to drive bicycle from behind, and then let go. And it goes a little like this. So this is my personal prayer. But slowly, slowly, they want to educate me for Parshadatva, to become like an eternal associate of them also. So and it's like a learning phase. And only when I express something honestly where I am, this is like the personal prayer, then some more correction can come. Like with my Gurudev, he made always the festivals, and then he only spoke short, and then he said, and now you speak about this, and you speak about this, and you speak. And it's, it was humiliating, you know. <laughs> when the student has to play the violin before the perfect violin teacher or something, but it's an, an important thing to that they can start fine-tuning myself. So this is my personal prayers, like the expression. I open myself again, so they start, oh, you stand there. Oh, you're like, look, this is... And then some more fine-tuning is coming. So it's needed, otherwise the Harikata cannot flow. 
Yeah, Krishna Chandra gave the, the answer already. Now you are. <laughs> but one of the reasons why I invite also always Krishna Chandra to say, not always, I should invite him always, sorry, I'm failing sometimes. But I invite him now and some other times is because I also like to see how many of the things that he says are the things that I will say if I will, I'm asked the question. I'm not saying this is an excuse to say, so I won't say anything now. But in some many ways, for me, it's a very also inspiring experience when I witness. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> mm. <laughs> and one of those things is what Krishna Chandra mentioned in the beginning, two things. One, of course, this all these different things you asked about Gandharvika, like Harikata and our own prayers and the prayers of the acharyas and the chanting of the name. They are all like different invitations, different portals. Of course, all of them are connected in one sense. The invitation goes to a diff to the same place, if you will, if you want to put it. No, it, it is, it's not like different invitations to completely different places. Uh, so I personally also feel that interrelatedness of, of all this. It's not that one thing goes here, karikata goes there, praying goes that. And I think it's important for us as practitioners to gradually put all that together, you know, because sometimes we still may think, okay, this Anga of Bhakti and this, that, and that's that, and gradually to integrate and see, okay, all this is working in the, pointing to a similar direction. And I appreciate what Krishna Chandra mentioned regarding Radha and Krishna Gurgadar asking, so, how are you doing, Krishna Chandra, today? What, what What's your report today? Tell us something. In, in the sense of the, they are interested in our individuality as well. No, they don't want automatons like robots. No? Sometimes they want to tell me something. What do you want? What do you sh And it's not only, I want what you want. No, they, they will want to make it more radically personal. <laughs> no. Tell me your taste. Tell me what you want. Like in the Lila, in the Lila, that's, I don't know, each friend of, of Krishna will have, will like a particular type of food. It's not that Krishna asks them, what do you like the most? Would you like the most, Krishna? No, that's not Vrindavan. No. They will say, I like mangoes the most. I like bananas the most. And Krishna will say, oh, that's not my taste. And they say, well, but that's my taste, they will say, Krishna. And they will say that from such a place that it's given Krishna taste. <laughs> so it's totally aligned with or when when, when Agasura opened the, the mouth, his mouth, as you know, and all the gopas were like, Wow, let's go there. That sounds like a very exciting cave. You know? Let's explore it. Um and Krishna was like, don't go there. And they were like, Let's go there. <laughs> so Krishna wanted something different, but they want. They went and Krishna had to follow them. So Krishna goes where Bhakti goes. Krishna's friends are the personification of Bhakti, Sarup Shakti. So it's not so much Bhakti goes where Krishna goes. Krishna goes where Bhakti goes. Even if Krishna was not planning going there, Bhakti goes, Jadri Chaya moves out of its own will and Krishna has, has to go, has no option. <laughs> so so I appreciated the point and also the importance of offering our own prayers. I mean. Of course, we have the prayers of our acharyas, and they are so exemplary and ideal and deep and drenched with so many layers of 
realization, but also there is a place for us to offer our own prayers, to compose our own prayers. I'm not saying compose in the sense I will write my own song book or something, but just to flow in prayer personally, whatever we are in our particular situation, because sometimes also we can end up doing copy-paste of prayers and, and, and in maybe even an eva evasive device of where we are now and trying to force to me to be where Bhaktino Thakur is or something. Instead of appreciating that, getting inspired with that and going back to where I am and from that place, offer my personal <laughs> prayer, so to say. So that's very important. And, and as Krishna Chanda said, also with the chanting of the name, sometimes technically speaking, some may say that's not that's not bandanam, that's not the prayer, prayers more to offer prayers in third person to Krishna. But I will say chanting this prayer, chanting should be chanted in a prayerful mood, so to say, as we talked in the beginning. Prayer at the end is a mood through which you chant the name, through which you cook, through which you have a shower, peel a potato, <laughs> work in the garden, cut wood. All those things can be prayers because, again, the invitation, as Krishna Chanda put, all these are invitations. And the invitation is always open. The window is always open. It's up to us how much we want to, to go there. Yeah. Some thoughts in complement to his. Yes. Um, many times when we were in India, also as an ashram group, or when one is in traditional Gaudiamats, if one asking brahmacharis and sannyasis or persons there, what is your prayer life? Oh, they say we sing Mangalarati and then songs of Naradam Das Thakur, Bhakti Nath Thakur. And they say, yeah, 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 but you're personal. And they are like... too dangerous. Your questions are too... Then they say, ah, they're like, they don't have this mostly. So what is your feeling? Why is this tendency in the modern Gaudiya world or how it's in the, in the training practically absent or really not taught so explicitly hmm. because we checked even in the 64 angas vandanam has two sides it's really the vandanam from the prayers of acharyas but it's also your own it's two angas from the 64 but what is your estimation or what is your feeling why this is so neglected? Yeah, thank you for the question. And so you may imagine part of why I wrote that chapter in my last book. I mean, my whole book is somehow a critic to the Gaudiya Sampradaya, <laughs> a loving critic, like a loving, like, okay, we are belong to this tradition with this ideal but this is not happening or this is happening in this way and of course not in everyone but in general i'm talking to a general condition of of the tradition and, and i feel one of the things that are most missing is uh, the emphasis on prayer life that's why i thought okay i will write the whole chapter on prayer <laughs> as i wrote another chapter on 
vulnerability and individuation or coexisting with mystery and healing our relationship with material energy and things that I feel they are a little dysfunctional in the general way as Gaudiya Vaishnavs can think and conceive of the things. So in connection to prayer, yeah, I agree with what Krishna Chandra mentions in general. Of course, I know many devotees who have a very deep prayer life, but just as a general template, um, I feel it's a little bit more like formulaic, like chanting, like participating in the daily functions, so to say, as you mentioned, this Arctic before the, the class, these kirtans, which again, I'm not against any of that. <laughs> but even all those things can be done mechanically, so one has to be very careful not to... Because if you do the same thing every day, forever, <laughs> I mean, there's a risk to do that mechanically. Singing the same song every day, singing the same mantra every day. It's never the same deeply, but you can be doing it from a very copy-paste way. Like, okay, now I have to say this, now I have to do that, move like that. And it's like, <laughs> but at the end of my life, I will go to Golok. No, I finish my round. So. Automatic. Yeah, it's not automatic. <laughs> no. If it's automatic, we are automatons. And that means like a robot. So, so of course, this may require deep social historical research and analysis. <laughs> but in my personal estimation, because I feel when we study the life of, of great mystics in our tradition, they have a very deep inner life and prayer life. It's not that this is like we are importing this prayer idea from Christianity or some other tradition and we are actually not about that. No, that's not the case. We have that. Um, but I think somehow in time it got yeah, in my, my estimation, again, in, in the general way like that things get like established, so to say, in time, in history, okay, institutions, certain structure to the daily life, certain order, you know, like Mangalarti, this chanting, this ceremony. And, and of course, it, the, the, the emphasis on the Maha Mantra. But eventually in time, those things end up becoming like too devoid of their actual inner spirit because chanting the maha mantra and assisting in all the ceremonies can be done from a very prayerful place but sometimes the tendency in general i'm not point, i'm not blaming anyone <laughs> but the tendency with the passage of time when things are established that they start to become like status quo so to say okay this institution this is the art this is the way to do the thing this is the number to achieve so everything becomes more formulaic and generally we become like complacent with that okay what do i have to do you have to come on to this time we sing this song you have to chant this number of rounds so we receive like the the magical formula so to say and but we lose sight of the the inner spirit of how to embrace that so so I will say, yeah, that, that, like Krishna says in the Gita, with the passage of time, huh, the thing gets distorted or diluted. He himself knows these things happen. No? <laughs> so, and I personally feel we are at the point where it's important that like for the whole Gaudiya community, we can have some form of, hopefully, 
on some level global awakening to to re a rebirth of how we think of Gaudiya Vaishnavism and how, how can I, we can approach this in a very renewed place no like reflecting back what's the actual essence of our tradition how much we are missing that how much we need to bring back elements like prayer no? this is what comes to my mind but your testimony your opinion yes 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 we can speak later Tomorrow we are leaving the morning. Don't cheat us. Yeah, but we okay, we will talk each other. We won't, <laughs> we won't cheat each other. We will cheat all of you. No, I'm on ourselves. Give us some space for ourselves. Yes. Yes. He will return and we'll share what we talked on that walk. That's a commitment. Okay. Publicly, I'm saying that. So they heard it. Yeah. So when he returns back, you will be all like Krishna Chandra. <laughs> so thank you so much to all of you almost two hours so i don't want to take more of your time but thank you so much i will be staying till tomorrow morning but since it's the last public sharing i wanted also to express my <laughs> my gratitude my my affection for all of you my indebtedness every time i'm visiting here is becoming more and more home-like. It was already home from day one. From day one when I met Krishna Chandra in the airport, that was home already. So the closer we get to the mountain here, we came more and more home. And the closer, the more we get acquainted with each other, it's becoming more, more natural, an extension of family. So for me, that's a very a special mercy that Krishna is giving because I'm traveling quite a while, as you know. And it's not necessarily that every place I visit is I mean, I try to go to places that are home for me. That's that's what takes me to those places. But there are some places which even are maybe more home than others. <laughs> Don't want to make a hierarchy or anything, but let's be honest. So, <laughs> so, so this is one of those. And of course, when I say this, I'm not referring to the physical mountain, which in itself is, of course, glorious in itself. But, all of you who made this place, so I wanted also to officially, publicly present my gratitude, my affection, my indebtedness, and my uh, humbled by your presence, by your service, by the way you are conducting yourself in community experience here and trying to together nourish this joint project like a teamwork in a very inspiring, exemplary way for for the rest of the Gaudiya community. I will wish, and we were talking these days with a few of us, like I will wish that more like this project will be in other places. So when someone asks me, asks me, do you know some other place like this? I could quickly say, yeah, you can go here, here, here. But unfortunately, I have to think all the time. So change my mind now. <laughs> a few things happen in between as you know regarding that place so as long as those things doesn't happen here i won't change my i'm not changing my mind yeah, let's see yeah. <laughs> i'm open, I'm open. <laughs> I'm open. 
I'm hoping Krishna is here and taking notes, so who knows which mischief he will manifest. Let's see. Okay, we're taking notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyhow, thank you so much again for your presence, your friendship, your dedication, your sincerity, your honesty, and your attempt at a life of prayer that's so important, so nourishing for all of us. And looking forward to meet each other soon and keep in touch somehow rather but, but we will not greet you farewell now. no no there's no farewell i didn't say farewell i'm just okay. saying expressing gratitude appreciation which of course i can do every single day i don't have to do it the last day i'm staying here it's some it's nice to express that every moment <laughs> but it came now in the inspiration but yeah there's no farewell it's just like See you in summer 24. Yeah, and festival of union, <laughs> separation, and transition. So, Sri Sachinandan Gorhari Ki Jai, Sri Harinam Prabhu Ki Jai, Sri Sri Gorgadadar Ju Ki Jai, Sri Radha Govinda Ju Ki Jai, Sri Mankrishna Chandra Prabhu Ki Jai, Gor Bhakta Brinda Ki Jai, Gor Pramananda Jivo, Mancha Kalpataru Vishra, Kripa Sandhu Vyavacha. Patitanam Pavane Ananta Koti Vaishnavinda Ki Jai Ananda Dham Ki Jai Go Haribo